0: Yeah, um, welcome to the show, man. It's um, it's a pleasure to meet you. I've got to admit, I'm excited, dude. I've had some very cool guests on my podcast, but um, you're one man that I'm extremely interested in speaking to. So, welcome. Thanks very much. Great, great of you to have me. I appreciate it. Well, it was my man, my man Arjuna. If I, if, if Arjuna says you're a good guy, then you got to be a good guy, man. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, Oliver, this arrived today, man. Sweet. Yeah, it's pretty damn cool. So uh, I had a quick flip through. I'm going to put this next on my reading list. So Oliver is a monk, author, and inspirational speaker. Uh, as I flick through, one of the headings jumped out at me, dude. Hell exists between our ears. That instantly grabbed my attention. Dude, I want to start there. Tell me a little bit about the book, uh, why you wrote it and your experience kind of that led you up to that point of putting all this on on paper and... Put it out there to the public?
1: Well, when I was 17, I went very manic and I ended up in a mental hospital and uh, spent a couple of years trying to go back to normal and tried different medications and tried no medication. And eventually, after a couple of years, my psychiatrist recommended that I take this uh, medication called lithium. And I took lithium for 10 years. And in many ways, it was very, very good for me. It stopped me getting incredibly high and euphoric and thinking I was Jesus, and it stopped me going into the the depths of depression, where I just wanted to die. But what it also what also happened during that period of ten years was a lot of the time I was hypomanic, which is it's like mania but it's a little bit less severe, but it can still be pretty damaging and pretty crazy. And the things I did in uh, hypomania were, were were pretty wild. I can talk about that later. Sure. Life went on. I I managed to get myself uh, a first class degree, actually, at Newcastle University and then went on to become a trader in an investment bank in, uh, in London and New York. And my whole plan was to make as much money as I could as quickly as possible and then retire on a beach in Thailand. And, you know, who wouldn't be at peace on a beach in Thailand? That all went horribly wrong. I quit and was then told about this meditation that I practice and the Arjuna practices as well, which is called the Bright Path Ascension as taught by the Ashayas. I think that's the name. It's pretty complicated. Yeah. <laughs> the meditation itself is much easier. But anyway, I um, kind of ignored this advice that I should learn to meditate. And I had four brushes with death. And after the fourth, I finally saw sense and I realized I've got to do something different. Got, I somehow I realized that my inner turmoil was creating part of my outer turmoil. And that if I could become more peaceful and happy, I'd have a, a much better life. So I learned to ascend, which is the meditation, and I practiced it for about a year. And then I thought this is amazing. And I went away on a six month course and became an shy monk. And since then, I've been uh, traveling around helping people find peace. But I guess one of the strange parts of my story is that alongside that, alongside this kind of quest for peace, I also had periods where I was very, very sick with bipolar. And there was a period of about four years where I was trying different medication. I was trying no medication. I was trying lots of alternative ways to to exist. And it, it didn't didn't work at all well. And I was very, very sick during that time in many sort of psychoses and Living in completely different dimensions, absolute pure madness. And then fortunately about five years ago, I suddenly saw sense and I woke up one day in a, in a mental hospital in Norway and I realized I've got to go back on lithium. You know, the side effects for me are, are pretty, pretty horrible, but I got to do it because happiness is more important than, than what I can do with my body and what my body's doing. And so I went back on it. And for the last five years, I've been really well and really stable. And then the sort of the benefits of the meditation have really been able to come in. So I'm a really sort of happy, lucky guy these days.
0: Cool. I mean it, it sounds quite a common path. I mean, not not so much to the extent of some, some of the um, challenges that you've been through, but the search for... The money, you know, the, the successful career, um, what most of us guys think we should be chasing, right? And I think we all have to taste that sometimes to realise that it might not be the right path for us. But something that, again, whilst I was reading for you, but really jumped out at me when you were speaking about this chase for purpose. Because let's face it, like, we all want to live a purposeful life. Yeah. And you mentioned that purpose is often luck. And it can be quite um, a torment to be chasing purpose all the time, you know, when you may never discover it. And that becomes... Uh, I guess, the core of your suffering when you're you're always looking, you're always searching, you're always doing. And this is something that I've been kind of really interested in lately. Um, you know, and, and I don't know if you've got perspective on this, but when we're, when we're looking for purpose, obviously it can serve some people well, maybe some others not so much. But how much of it do you think is luck? Like How much of our purpose do you feel like we stumble upon? Or do you think it's a process of tearing everything around us that doesn't work and eventually we get to this place of uh, more peace, more happiness, purely because we've we've tried and tested things that just don't work for us.
1: That's a great question. I think it is different for each individual. I think that often we try to find formula formulas that work for lots of different people, but my experience of life is that actually it's it's incredibly individual for most people. So, for example, some people it's almost like from the moment they can think. They know they want to be a fireman or they know they want to work in health and be a doctor or whatever. And then there's other people uh, like me who get into their 40s and they're like, shit, I still haven't found my purpose. You know? One of the things that I have found personally that I think is really helpful is that until you know what your life purpose is, it's a really good idea to put purpose into your life. And the way I do that is through through service, through helping others and, and through finding meaning in the most mundane of things. So, for example, I mean, how many people hate putting out the, the rubbish, you know, or cleaning the house? It's not it's not usually number one. <laughs> mm. But when you see that you're doing that because you're you're helping your family or you're serving your partner, or even if you live alone, that you're doing it because it, it allows you to then go and do the things that are more important to you then all of a sudden there's this this change in perspective of life. And it can sound a bit kind of twee, you know, saying, put purpose into taking the trash out. But if you try it, it's actually remarkable. Because usually when we're not experiencing purpose, it's because we're thinking too much about other things. We're just too disengaged from the present moment. And the more you start to experience the present moment, the more either naturally purpose will fill your life like a sense of purpose or you will discover your purpose or you won't need a purpose but you will still feel purposeful
0: yeah we were we had a, 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 a you know meeting the guys last week in, inside of the better man program and we were talking about this challenge you know as a guy you do kind of want to put some direction into your life don't you you want to know where you're heading And we're talking about, you know, vision and missions and so on. But we're also talking about the, you know, the offset of that. The challenge is that we don't become so wrapped up into keep looking forward, keep looking forward, that we forget that actually this, what we're doing right now is pretty damn cool. Mm -hmm. So there's that big battle, isn't there, of like, you know, the challenge between goal setting, um, having plans, which very rarely work out. But if we have no direction, it's, it's hard to make our next decision, our next action. How do you find you balance things and challenges like that? Or if you're helping people, you know, you've got ambitious people, but who spend so much time like planning and plotting and chasing that they forget to, to live in the now. And how, how do you help somebody balance that, that mindset out? That's cool.
1: Well, first of all, if you're ambitious, you've got to celebrate
0: it because you
1: have passion and you probably have forward movement. It may not be forward movement that always seems to have good results, but you've got that forward movement. You've got like a passion for life. So the first thing is to really celebrate where you're at. And then, of course, it's fun to have goals. For some people, it's very necessary to have goals just to function well. And often for men, we love having goals. It's so exciting to have a challenge. Like I've run the London Marathon, I ran the New York Marathon in the kilt, which is extremely embarrassing because the Americans would not leave me alone throughout the whole thing, and and mountain marathons and all that stuff. And to have those ahead of me was so exciting. But but the balance is not to think about it too much. You can plan ahead. You can have lots of goals. You can have lots of things you want to achieve. But if you lie in bed at night fantasizing about it or worrying about it, then you, you miss out on all the fun. You miss out on the fun of the journey because you, you have this belief or we have this belief that until I have that thing, until I have that car or that job or until I've achieved that, then I'm not whole and complete. And the truth is that we're all whole and complete where we are right now. But that doesn't mean we can't play with being more whole and complete in the future and exploring life and going on adventures. That's an incredibly enlivening thing to do
0: yeah absolutely and for me it kind of forces me into the present you know when I'm doing some kind of physical like challenge or I'm training or or there's something there like that for me is a a meditative state you know it's you know I turn my phone off it forces me it's a lot easier anyway especially for guys to do something like that than to sit and meditate so I think I hold up my hands and say it's it's probably one of the most challenging things. and I teach discipline and to sit there and meditate and, and not just do it once, but to make it part of your, um, you know, your practice, your daily life. It, it's one hell of a challenge. But we also have a thought that, you know, purpose often just starts with an interest. I don't know if you agree with this, Oliver. It's like you don't just wake up one day and go, oh, light bulb, here's my purpose in life. Uh, you try and you test and you find things that interest you. And then I think over time they develop. So if you're interested in, in reading, for example, you know, you might pick up a book. It's quite interesting. After six months, you're still reading and you're reading lots of books. And then 12, 18, 24 months later, you're obsessed with reading books. You love books and you want to start writing yourself. So for me, passion does start with just trying and testing things. A bit like food, right? You only know what you like when you when you try and test. So it, it, it's, it's interesting to view it from that point. And again, I don't know whether you found that any of your passions... I've merely just started with like an interest, just just wanting to learn a little bit more and being curious about something.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think sometimes we make the whole passion thing a bit too grand.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: I looked, at your, I looked at your Instagram site today and you were talking about, I think it was like the five things you most enjoyed. And I was laughing because they were all the five things I most enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I like reading books. I like going to the coffee shop. I like training and all this stuff. And when you look at those things like they're such simple things you know they don't require loads of brain power to to come up with or anything like that but they're simple pleasures that allow you to be you and allow you to be creative and expressive and also at some of them they allow you to disengage your mind and just enjoy what you're doing you know if if we go to the gym and we're obsessed with our little we've got our iphone we're obsessed with how much we did last week and and the training program and oh that's a bit better whatever that training experience for me anyway is it's not as good it's like it's like a heady experience but when i go into the gym and i just look at the weights and i just sort of move from one thing to the next and there's not a lot going on up here it's such an enjoyable experience and i actually get to feel my body and i get to experience the present moment and be really alive and yet a lot of people will say well that's not a good way to train because you really should know exactly what to do and you should have this list of things and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, maybe, but not every day. Come on, you're gonna enjoy yourself. You've got to actually experience the weight training, not just do it to get stronger.
0: How much of um you know mental illnesses like depression and such do you believe are maybe the result of people not having or don't, you know, not uh, not believing that they have all, the autonomy to pursue? you know their deeper desires and their interests you know mortgages are there job security kids yeah how much of how much of depression do you think's linked with us not following our heart yeah
1: well I mean there's obviously there's a section of society uh, and I would probably put myself in here too who who have a a mental illness they have like a genetic issue that that probably means that however life goes they're gonna suffer from it to some degree but then I think that there's a huge amount of people in society who are just not very happy or they're depressed on a kind of like a, a low level depression, which is very unpleasant. I'm not belittling that. Um, or they're caught up in the, sort of the hypermania of life and achieving and everything happening all at once. And particularly in here. And what I would say is that modern life is not designed to promote our mental health. In fact, I would say unless you're quite an aware person. Modern life, particularly in a city, is designed to damage our mental health. I don't think it's consciously designed that way. I don't think there's evil people trying to damage our mental health. But I just think everything from loads of computer time, phone time, the expectations that we get from getting so much more information. Now, you know, the list goes on. These are not good for creating a a quiet, happy mind.
0: So, if we're talking like nature maybe versus nurture here, we're saying that you know it's the society and the environment maybe that affects how we feel so much. If we if we're looking at things like genetic causes for the, the, you know how we feel and what we're experiencing, sometimes does this then remove the idea of free will? Because this is something that we said we'd speak about, right? We, you know, we exchanged messages, didn't we before? And we, I think we both like this conversation, maybe a free will versus determinism. Like, does that rule out free will immediately then? If if you know if we've got you know these genetic uh, predispositions that you know make us act and feel in a certain way would that not obliterate the free will rule not for me
1: because okay. i i believe i believe everyone has a an individual unique life force inside them i personally think it's eternal which is quite nice because it mm-hmm. means we don't need to worry too much about this life <laughs> so that's my belief just
0: to misbehave right
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Or build up good karma, you know?
0: Uh, Yeah, that's probably the right answer. (laughs) That's what I meant. Yeah, that's what I meant.
1: (laughs) But anyway, I think that we all have this individual life force. I think it's absolutely that we are all connected within one thing, which I would call love uh, or kindness or compassion or a field. You can call it what you want. It doesn't. The name is almost irrelevant, but the experience of it is everything. But I believe that we're individuals and we are put here with the ability to make choices. We do have free will, in my opinion. We can make choices. There are those times when you're looking at one choice and thinking, I really want to make that choice. And you're looking and thinking, but it would be much better if I made that choice. You know, we, we, we have those choices quite regularly. Sometimes. This
0: is where I challenge you a little bit on this. So if this was a genetic you know, issue that you, you were battling, like would those choices not be uh, made on the basis of the genetic condition that you find yourself in therefore you know can we call that your decision if it's if it's being driven by genetic forces
1: it it depends how you view genetics you know genetics is still in, in its infancy you know the study of genetics has only been around for well, I guess since Crick and Co I don't know when that was 18 something but re- it's only been the last 40 50 60 years they've really gone for it with genetics so It depends on how you view it. If if you have this view that everything we do and every heartbeat we have is caused by our genetics, then maybe we don't have free will. But if you believe that we're this individual spark that inhabits this body and the genetics and maybe our fate and destiny play influential role in our life, they make things more likely to happen or less likely to happen. But we still have choices within that. Uh, for me, that's a more balanced way of looking at it. It might not be true. It may be that we have absolutely no choice in anything. But I'll tell you one thing, living your life like that is not nearly as much fun. I
0: know. Well, that's the scary aspect. If it is an illusion, if free will is an illusion, it's quite a depressing fact, you know. So I think it's, it's probably wise for sanity for most people to maybe have some faith. That it isn't an illusion. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sat on the fence on this, by the way. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear people debate it. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not smart enough to be able to to throw my, my hat in the ring and, and put an opinion on this. But I love hearing people debate it, especially people like Sam Harris, who um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sam Harris, but he puts a pretty impressive argument about the fact that, you know, we're not really in control of our thoughts because we don't know where these thoughts come from they just pop into our head we have no idea what's going to come into our head next therefore how much free will do we have we're not you know, we don't pick our parents we don't pick the environment that we grow up in we don't pick the soul that that we have uh, so he puts a good argument of like well how much of that then you know if anything's random it can't be free will
1: yeah well first of all maybe we do pick our parents and secondly,
0: oh hold on hold, hold on, hold on, let's let's go. And you can't say that and move on. What do you mean?
1: Well, we don't know that. I mean, Sam Harris is obviously a clever man. You know, there are lots of clever people in the world, but none of us know everything. Mm. And a lot of us, you know, we just assume that certain things are true. And there are certain uh, indigenous tribes from um, from North America. I don't know what you call them these days, but you know, Red Indian tribes. Yeah, they um, very conscious tribes, good, loving people. They certainly would say that you pick your parents and your friends and your family and at least some events before you're born so that you can come into this life and learn the lessons you need to know. Okay. Now, can science prove that? I don't know. They probably could have interviewed enough people because there's a lot of people who have um, ey- eyewitness reports of that, you know, that, that they remember other times. But who knows?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that would would class as scientific backup, but I think we're terrible that if we can't explain something, we automatically assume it's not true. Which I think is a real, you know, a closed closed mindset approach. You know, I think we should be more open. And yeah, I think things do happen that are unexplainable. Like you say, we're smart people have got it wrong so many fucking times, right? So many times. So, but what impresses me is when somebody can put a decent argument across or an opinion because that's all it is really it's an opinion none of us know whether free will exists or determinism exists but it's quite good fun talking about it which is crazy because you think you're debating something that you're never going to get an answer to like let's face it in our lifetime are we really going to find out whether free will exists or, or do we find out when when it's too late when, when we're gone
1: i don't know but i'll throw another awkward one for you <laughs>
0: i knew you were going to fry my brain tonight oliver <laughs>
1: If we're controlled by our thoughts, which I think is a fair thing to say, and I think is probably scientific, I'm not sure. I'm actually, I am actually a scientist, or at least trained, but haven't done it for a while. Um, what happens when we learn to be free of our thoughts and we experience
0: more presence and peace and very few thoughts? Yeah, is that being free of our thoughts, though? I mean, what do, we, have any? do we not just become better at what we're given? And again, this would be the argument for, for no free will. Do we, you know, as human beings, are we given things and we just have to do our best? And like you say, is it, it, some of it luck when we're searching for purpose uh, with certain health conditions? You know, are our cards marked? These kind of things. But in terms of the thoughts, I have no idea on that. I still, it, it puzzles me when I start thinking, well, where the fuck do these thoughts even come from? Who's putting them in there? Who's putting them in there? Am I putting them in there? Who knows? Where do they come from?
1: I'll give you another freaky thing. <clears throat> no one has actually proven scientifically that thoughts exist. Same as love. Same as love. Science can't prove what love is. It can, it can prove that, you know, we, our interpretation of love. You can see love, but no one's actually managed to tie it down and prove what it is. But does it exist? Probably.
0: Yeah. Well, I, heard, I was uh, something similar about thoughts not really existing, which is. Again, to get your head around is like, oh, explain that. What, what are we experiencing? If uh, what is real and what isn't? That's another kind of debate. Like, how much of our world is just purely perception? Like, how much of our world have we made up? It's insane to even go down that rabbit hole. Now you've gone down there, Oliver. I'm going to hand it over to you. If you can let the if you let the listeners know all these answers, that'd be great. So I'm out at this point, mate. Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, I genuinely don't know very much. Uh, I generally talk from my own experience, and I, I do have experience with thoughts and no thoughts and stuff, just because I've been meditating for such a long time. And my experience is that <clears throat> when I when I learned to ascend, I was completely controlled by my thoughts and by the patterns that I developed over my lifetime. And so, uh, if I if I uh, saw a pretty girl, woof, I, I went. I I was rubbernecked. I had no kind of like choice in it. Or if I fell in love, I thought about that person all the time. You know, I had no choice. If an exam was coming up, I would worry about it. I would also pretend that I didn't worry. That was all part of my process, you know, to be cool. Um, So I had all these patterns, and they all came from my thoughts and what was passing through my head. Because the thoughts I had, I had such a a close relationship with them. I believed them so strongly that it was like I didn't kind of have a thought floating by, I had a thought like that. And it grabbed me and it got me and it pulled me wherever it wanted to pull me. But then after I'd been um, ascending for a while, I started. There was actually one day where my thoughts moved from kind of being here all the time to, to being further away. And it felt really, really nice because I still had thoughts. I still had the same thoughts, but they didn't kind of grab me in the same way. They didn't ruin my life and control me. And I totally believe, I totally agree with what you were implying anyway, that if someone, is, if someone doesn't have a, a healthy relationship with their thoughts, they're definitely controlled. They have no free will at all. But once the thoughts start to kind of move out, and once there's more space in, in between them, like space within you, kind of when you, there have been times when you're in the gym and you're just on autopilot and you just feel good. And there's no reason because you didn't feel good yesterday when you're doing the same exercise, but now you just feel good and you feel a something or a nothing or a presence that's just there. And you can have thoughts and you can even have emotions. You can even feel sad, but the sadness doesn't get you. It doesn't own you. And so as you continue to, to meditate or do whatever you do that alters your relationship with thoughts, you start to develop more and more free will because you're no longer controlled by them and that's why I was laughing about the free will thing because whether you have free will or not if if some if someone is a person who believes their mind then they have no free will really they're they're controlled by it and that's why it's so cool to find peace and to to free ourselves from our mind and, and and become our true self
0: Yeah, so I mean, that makes total sense, everything you've just said. I still think that for for me would be a a great example of you doing the very best with what you're given. Therefore, we're all very, very limited. But it makes total sense. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a lot of guys listening that will really resonate with that, you know, about the thoughts, uh, strangling them, suffocating them. And we... And the canal can speak from experience. We believe they're real, one hundred percent. You know, there's no moving us. There's no psychiatrist. There's no counselor. There's no friend that can move us away from those those really strong values. Do you think you've trained the thoughts not to enter your mind, or do you think you've just got so better at disengaging with them, and you start to choose them more wisely? Therefore, again, it's just a skill set. It's just an art. It's just a practice. Like, do, what do you think's actually happened through through the practice and Of meditation I think it's
1: I think it's all based on that philosophy that what we put our attention on grows like what we focus on grows and it's very very natural for most people to focus on their thoughts because naturally our attention is drawn to movement you know it just is and so if there's movement in our head naturally we're drawn to that and so as we grow up we learn to put more and more attention on our thoughts and and we we learn to think all the time What I think happened to me was I learned a tool that took my attention from the constant thinking and worrying and stressing and and planning back to this present moment, this spacious place that that we talked about. And then as I started to do that more and more, that started to grow in my experience because that what was getting my attention. And the thoughts were still there, but they became kind of less interesting, less enticing. And what I've noticed happen in the last few years is now I live much more from intuition than from kind of uh, linear thinking mm-hmm. like I used to. and And the more I trust my intuition, the the more accurate it seems to become, and the more fun life becomes. But what it does mean, and this is this is like the 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 disadvantage to some people is I can't always justify my positions and my decisions. I can't always say, I'm doing this because of that sometimes I say I'm just doing this and I don't say why did you do that I say, I don't know it felt right you know but you can probably relate to that being creative
0: <laughs> uh, yeah uh, well on the, the short version I fuck up all the time and do things that some work out some don't and yeah when people quiz you on them you think yeah actually why did I make that decision again wh- whether that's free <laughs> whether that's free will or not I'm I'm, I'm not sure but um, yeah, I totally understand everything you've you've just said there, and can relate to it um, quite strongly actually. And uh, yeah, I thought again, you were a very interesting guy to 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 get on from some of the content and some of the stuff that I've seen in the book. So you're very open and honest, which which, which is great, and um, I think that's important, especially if we're going to encourage. Other men, because I think I think we both agree on this, Oliver. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like the self-inventory, the the self-discovery, the looking in—something you mentioned at the start—the word formula. I think we do look for formulas. We look, we look for answers, and we look for people to give us the direction. And I think that getting in touch with the internal work, which is tough, by the way. And again, this is where we have to quiz. Like, did you have to go for all the how you went through to get to the position that you're at, or or was there a smarter route? for me anyone who's made an epic transformation has had a world of shit it's the only way the adversity is i think it was einstein that says adversity introduces you to you you know it makes you look at yourself it shows you who you really are and i don't know what you think but do you do you envision that life would have been completely different had you not experienced the world of pain that you'd have gone through do you think you would have ended up practicing this art of meditation
1: for me no i think i would have been a very very arrogant Know it all, with a, a good job somewhere and a a pretty wife who didn't love me. That's what I was, <laughs> and probably a few kids who really didn't like me very much. Um,
0: cool.
1: I think I was I was so taken by my mind, and I, I you know I of course I could be a good guy and I could be fun and and whatever, but I could also be really judgmental and cruel to people and cruel to myself. And I was very very driven. I was incredibly ambitious, um, to a very unhealthy degree, and. I think if I hadn't been kind of reined in by life, which for me was mainly bipolar that, that did that, um, I would never really have stopped to look at what I was doing and the damage I was causing, or even to look at the potential for, 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 for things like love and kindness and fun that I had. So for me, I think it was very important that I got smacked around by life. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I Luckily, I think there are also people who don't need to do that. There are some people who are perhaps more mature souls than I am, um, who have maybe gone through their stuff or don't need to go through it. And they naturally have a peace and a wisdom and a kindness. And, And, you know, we all know them. And it's not necessarily that they've had a really easy life, but they haven't needed to smash into that brick wall that so many of us relate
0: to. <laughs> yeah, man. Do you ever miss the old reckless Oliver? Like, There's times, you know, I really f- fuck things up as well, but there's still times where I look back and I miss that guy, man. I just want to go out and get on the sesh again and party and fuck off all responsibilities and not be so serious and not read books and just... Live by the moment, live in the moment, and be happy with my with my pint of Stella or whatever it is. Like, do you ever? Yeah, do you ever kind of just have that little that little ego come back and just say, "All oh, that? Do you remember how good it used to be to fuck up and do these crazy things?" Definitely.
1: <laughs> you
0: said, otherwise, I was like, you know, it's not just me then.
1: No, it's not just you. And and I look I look back on it now with a lot of joy. I mean, I've had to do a lot of apologising in my journey because, as I've hurt a lot of people and some of that is because of bipolar and i can kind of use that as an excuse and some of it is is me you know it's my my personality and mistakes i've made but i've also i have actually spent quite a lot of time apologizing to the people i felt i needed to which was a beautiful experience mm-hmm. but it's left me now in a situation where i'm much more willing to laugh about my past and laugh about my mistakes as well so i look back on that oliver and i think good on you mate you gave it 100% and you had a lot of fun, and you had incredible experiences. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm glad I'm at peace now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, seriously, Oliver, that's one of the biggest challenges for the guys inside the, the program that I run, and for myself. Like, we go from this this reckless guy. Maybe you wake up in your thirties, and like you say, you realise you fucked people up, you've upset a lot of people. It hasn't got you to where you want to be. So you, you start behaving a little bit differently and you, you know, you put in these routines and these disciplines. Then all of a sudden, like, you know, you're looking at, well, what do I do for fun? You know, when, when alcohol isn't there, when I can't go out and cause some trouble, you know, what do I do for fun? And I think a lot of guys fear that they're going to lose that side of them when they take away the booze and maybe the drugs or whatever it is that really lights them up. Cause that will be their escapism. That will be the thing that, you know, gives them that present moment um you know boost which is when we talk about feeling good in the present moment or feeling happy in the present moment I'm always cautious of that word happy because I'm like let's face it you know you give me four cans Oliver I'm gonna be pretty fucking happy man do you know what I mean? Give me a cigarette as well on the side and a nice woman as well I'm like I'm in heaven. Yeah. But do you know what I mean in that present moment I'm happy. So th- there's got to be a little bit of future pacing right like what am what am I doing right now and if it's making me happy is this going to make my life worse tomorrow and the next day or better. So there has to be a little bit of, of moving back and forward, right? Strategic planning, let's call it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I yeah, totally agree with you. I think there has to be. I mean, it's, it's, it's so terrible to give up, you know, to go in a quest of permanent peace and fulfilment and give up happiness and enjoyment on the way. I mean, how miserable is that? <laughs> and, and I don't think that's necessary for, for most people. I think, obviously, sometimes we have to introduce useful boundaries, uh, which are called uh, tapas in Sanskrit. And useful boundaries, sometimes we need to introduce them permanently. You know, if, if we're an alcoholic, we may have to decide, look, I can't ever touch a drop again. And in other situations, we might just have them for periods of time where we say, you know, I'm going to give up carbs at the moment because it's all got a bit out of hand with the uh, belly. Um, but it's it's definitely, I think life is about finding a balance, and, and so often the temptation is like as, as a young man or as an amb- ambitious man, the temptation is to go 100% in a certain direction, you know, because we're at our best when we're doing one thing. No one's no one's going to argue with that, you mm-hmm. know, unless you're a guy who has really kind of perfected your feminine side. Doing th- one thing at a time suits us really well and we're really good at it and we should rejoice in that. It's a good quality, you know. Um, I can't remember where I'm going there.
0: We just talk about being reckless pissers, basically. You know, <laughs> and the fact that you need to keep a bit of that, you yeah. know, that balance in that mixture of maybe, you know, a fun yeah. and a venture. It may be a healthier way, but you introduced me to the word, I want to say it sounded like something like tapas because I just thought about food. Um, yeah, uh, about boundaries.
1: Yeah. Well, boundaries, I mean, the best boundaries that we introduce, or the, the nicest ones, are the ones that are self-imposed because we have some kind of choice about them you know assuming we have full will uh free will but you know the boundaries we introduce ourselves are obviously can be really fun they can be really necessary they can be really hard and we really you know can fight them but then there's also the boundaries that life introduces like illness like how tall we are like how clever we are like relationships you know there's lots of boundaries that are introduced but for me and, and i write about this quite a lot in the book, is The real key to this whole thing is acceptance. And I heard you talking to Arjuna about acceptance, and I was fascinated by your conversation. And I really liked your take on it. But what I've discovered through my kind of journey and and struggles is that I was fighting life a lot more than I realized. And when I say fighting life more than I realized, I was fighting what is. I wanted to change so many things in my life, and I made it a mission to do that. And yet I wasn't willing to accept what was in my life right now, which is the biggest key to changing your life is to actually accept it, first of all. And the reason I wouldn't accept it was because as far as I was concerned, there were certain parts of my life that were unacceptable. It was it was unacceptable to have a genetic disease that completely screwed up my life and my career that I had no choice over. It wasn't like my fault. It was unacceptable to accept that, you know, and I could argue till the cows came home. About that, but the fact is, it's a part of my life. And the moment I accepted it, which is quite a funny story, but the moment I accepted it, everything started to change, and even my experience of bipolar started to change. And things started to appear that helped me, and my life became much better. Almost as a, as an energetic reaction to me genuinely accepting it. Now, I'm not saying this to try and encourage everyone to accept everything. Because there's a timing for everything. There's a time and a place for everything. And trying to accept a situation that we can't or don't want to can be very painful in itself. But at least to play with accepting that we can't accept something is moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah, because the three words that I've I've, I've noted down here as well, uh, acceptance, resignation, contentment, all very finely linked so how do we get to the point where we know, so your strategy of accepting and saying this, this is how it is, like what part of that is purely strategy when in reality you may not be accepting of of the condition and you, you will do anything it takes to get better. Is that just kind of a reverse psychology thing or do you think, like what do you think the magic is in just accepting what is accepting the condition that you have uh, versus the, strategy of trying to improve the situation itself
1: that's a really really good question um i think that my ability to accept that thing primarily came through meditation i think it primarily came from becoming a more loving and relaxed and and wise person and and less of a fighter i'm still an adventurer but i'm no longer a fighter and so I would I've I've read books and heard people talk, and they try and take the psychological approach of, of trying to kind of t- to talk oneself into acceptance, mm-hmm. you know. And I, that can certainly work for some people, but for so, sometimes it's it doesn't work. It's like the fact that we're caught in our mind thinking about stuff is part of the unaccepting. We're thinking, I can't accept this. I can't accept this. I can't accept this, and we don't see those thoughts. And we don't see the, the strength of the belief that I can't accept. So through meditation, I got to see very clearly that I wasn't accepting life as it was and that it was actually a good idea to do it. And I think it kind of like it kind of softened my ego. And so it made my ego a little bit sort of weaker and softer. And then it was more easy for the goodness to come in and for me to say, oh, I kind of I kind of accept it. So it's probably not the answer that a lot of people want to hear because people want a formula. They want to think I can go home and I can do A, B, and C, and I'll have accepted everything. But it doesn't seem that life works like that. Uh, For me, it took it took a few years actually to get to a place where I could accept my lot.
0: Yeah, it it almost sounds like the transition to the word peace for me. It's um, maybe a peaceful acceptance of what is but again a complete contradiction because you are going to go and attack it and do something about it this is where these kind of topics are hard to talk about because i understand that i understand how you could accept it at the same time but not be willing to put up with the, the you know the effects that it has so i totally understand that but yeah i think again the the word content i never know when's a good time to use it i still haven't worked out whether the content is a good thing or not because I've, I've seen people use it as a as a cover-up term for resignation. Ah, oh, I'm just content the fact that I'm three stone overweight, even though I've been trying for the last few years. Joe, you know actually, I'm all right. I'm quite happy as I am. And you know they're not. And then have you? I, I don't know whether people on this planet really exist that they have nothing else to gain. They have nothing else. They're completely 100% content with what they've got, with their thing. Even knowing that bad things are going to come up in life, they can live that life of pure contentment. I'm not sure, man. I, I, these words are so finely linked. So you say, Alex, are you content? I don't know if I'll give you an a, a answer, Oliver, to be honest. I don't even know where you start to work out whether you're content or not in life.
1: Yeah. I think you can be content and you can still go for it in life.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a satisfied with being unsatisfied kind of thing is the, 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 the kind of lingo I use on that. Like, you, you're okay with what you've got. Like, you'll take it. You know you're lucky. Yeah.
1: But.
0: And there's a big but. I want fucking more. I want a challenge. I want ambition. I want to see new things. Because well, not everything's about chasing it, the item. So... Let me tell you a little story, Oliver. We, we, like I said, there was twelve guys met last last week in a room, and we all declared our top three wins for the year. So we record our wins every day. It's a really good drill to, you know, drive confidence, drive self belief, drive attention, like you've mentioned, onto you know some of the good things that are happening in life. And we all shared our wins, and I think out of like twenty, I think it was twenty eight wins or whatever between a lot of us, like only one of them was a material item. Only one of them. Everything else was an experience or an adventure or even a um, surviving a tough time, you know, everything that was brought up was non-material. And it, it, it's such an eye-opener because the answers are right in front of you. Like if you're flagging up the best things that happen to you in the year are not material things, it's completely foolish. And I fall victim to this all the time. When you're goal setting and talking about purpose, it's, com- it's a ridiculous strategy to start chasing numbers and cars and shit, especially if you do the digging. You've got evidence there that, you know, depressed people can have Lamborghinis, man. Depressed people can have seven figures in the bank. So we know that's not the answer. So it really interests me to to do the self-work, the inner work that you've described. Because I think you're at that point, Oliver, now, aren't you, where, like you say, you go inwards. You probably don't need to read books necessarily to guide you. You look in and you listen to what's going on inside you. But trying to teach a guy to do that, you know, it's a hard process. You've got to be committed. It's tough. It can take years and years and years. I'm still trying to get good at it. You get better through practice. And you've clearly found a path through meditation. So what does that what does that meditative state feel like when you're deep in that zone? Is it just that you do not have any thoughts, therefore you're at peace because the suffering has stopped? Or do you, do you start um, finding things that you would not necessarily find if you hadn't meditated?
1: well the the state of stillness or inner peace or nirvana or heaven, whatever you want to call it it's it's unchanging so it's like a, it's like a space. It's one of the reasons why people like lying on the the beach in the summer and looking up at the stars above them and they just look and they see millions of stars as long as there's not too much light pollution and and they lie back and they don't sit there and think, "Oh God, my marriage is terrible or." How am I going to pay that bill tomorrow? They just look at the stars and they feel really alive and often they feel peaceful. Um, and that's the experience of presence like this. It's not just that you're looking at the stars. It's that there's a presence there too, that you are within and that the stars are contained within. And the presence itself is unmoving and it's still and it's quiet. And sometimes there's a sense of, of love or emptiness or power sometimes there's just such a sense of nothingness that you forget you exist you forget your worries
0: you forget you're a human being you just are you just is that not is that not the 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 fun of it is that not what you know because if if that's the pleasure in it like if if you think what we're talking about here because this is where i was going to head to this dark place of like you know is the joy of meditation just not existing Well, it it can be lots of different things.
1: You know, the state I've explained is kind of the, I would say it's the purest experience that one can have when one meditates. But the other advantage of of meditating is that, or at least of ascending, what I do, is that you de-stress your nervous system. And so you open your nervous system up to experience more peace and happiness and joy and, dare I say, contentment um, with your eyes open when you're doing stuff. So meditation actually makes life more enjoyable. So it's not like it's it's so interesting because there are these incredibly profound spiritual experiences that we can have. And many of us have had them. Many of your listeners will have had them, whether they meditate or not, they will have had profound experiences in their life. But the, the, the the most wonderful definition of the experience of meditation or the experience of presence that I talked about is just this quiet presence that is so alive. That life becomes alive. So it doesn't matter if you're painting a wall or if you're having a laugh in the pub with your mates, you're alive. You're truly alive. And there are no problems within your mind. You may still have problems in your life and you'll be able to deal with them. In fact, you'll probably deal with them better because you're more present. But you don't dwell on them. You don't suffer from those problems. I'll give you like a funny example. I was lucky enough to be given tickets to. Scotland, Australia, and Scotland, South Africa in the rugby the last two weekends. I love the Scotland rugby team. I've supported them for, gosh, since I was about seven, I think. And I went through 35 years of pain, which you won't know anything about because you're an Englishman. And those 35 years, your team was pretty good and my team struggled. But the last few years, Scotland have got better and better and better. And so I go to watch the Australian match with a good mate of mine and I'm fully engaged. I'm screaming for Scotland. I want them to whip the Aussies. I'm having a great time. And Scotland win and that's awesome. And I'm happy and I leave and we're having a good time and we have fun with the Australian supporters and the Scottish supporters, whatever, you know. And then the next week, I go to watch Scotland, South Africa with my dad. And it's awesome because I love my dad to bits and we had a great time getting there and we're sitting next to each other and he's 82, loving the rugby and I'm loving the rugby. And Scotland do really, really well. And then the South Africans just power, overpower them. It's over. Scots have lost, you know. And I'm just as happy as the Australian match. I'm having a laugh with the South Africans next to me. Everything's great. But the contentment that I experience allows me to fully enjoy the competition and the full onness. But I don't suffer from the disappointment. (laughs) And I don't take it all too seriously. So I'm able to have fun with everyone involved rather than, going home and moping about it or whatever
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're on to like football and sporting events ruin some people's weekends you know when some people like their team win they're on and if their team lose that that's their weekend ruined I mean that's part of the reason I stopped going up to watch Coventry City because um it was edge of your seat stuff I mean it was shit for a start and then it was um it was it was not there was no pleasure in it for me because I just was so nervous that they'd get that that they'd lose and such. So, how much of this is environmental then? So a lot of the things like we said, lying under the stars, being at exciting football matches or or rugby matches that grab our attention, that's cool, right? For most people, that you know, that can drive them into being present because whatever's in front of them is entertaining enough to let us put the phone down or or just fully engage in, in their activity. But if if we're coming back to an unhappy home, for example or we're serving in a, you know, a nine to five job that we don't like, like, you know, how much of this art is useful then of being able to be in the present moment, if the present moment itself isn't that fulfilling?
1: I think it's more useful. I think that being in the, when people talk about being in the present moment, it's a, it's a very recent thing for most people in the West. The, in the East, they've been talking about it for thousands and thousands of years. But in the West, it's still very, very basic. And a lot of the science around it isn't isn't um, isn't even correct because they're just starting to catch up with it. But what I would say is that the more time you spend present and the more you are able to observe your thoughts rather than be controlled by them, the more you will get to know the habits that control your life and the habits that cause you suffering. So, for example, um, if... if If somebody uh, is always self destructive in a relationship, they get into a relationship, they're perfectly happy. The other person tells them that they love them and they think, oh shit. And they start to back away from the relationship and maybe they sabotage it. That's a very common thing. And maybe they've done that in 20 relationships in their life and they kind of know it's happened, but they don't really know why they're doing it. They've got a reason. They say, oh, I just, I didn't really want it. Or I I love the first three months of a relationship, you know, whatever. But what's actually happening to them? is that their subconscious is controlling them without them realising. Their thoughts are controlling them. Now, if they don't learn to meditate or if they don't do something that, that allows them to see these thoughts and this fear, maybe from as a child that I was rejected by my parents one day, it could be nothing, it could be a tiny event, but they've carried it in their subconscious. So whenever anyone tells them they love them, they fear being abandoned and they move back. Now, some people will live their entire life and die, alone with that belief but if you meditate regularly you start to see these patterns they start to reveal themselves not only in your mind but also in your life and you become so much wiser that you start to see these things and so that person maybe they've been meditating for a few weeks maybe a couple of years they will suddenly realize oh my goodness I, I I'm really scared of commitment or I always I I hate it when people say they love me i hate it and then when it happens they will start to see these thoughts saying oh shit oh shit oh shit but they can distance themselves from those thoughts and they can stay there and they can either ignore them or they can say to their partner oh my god i'm scared uh i don't like it when people say that i'm freaking out but i want to be with you and i can get over this i know it's just a pattern whatever and so that is something that the present moment gives people that is and that's not talked about much Mm -hmm. we keep seeing the present moment as this means to an end If I'm more present, I'm more effective. I can be a better businessman or a better runner or whatever. That's probably true. But what is so much more important is that you can become a better man, You know, like your your, your podcast is called. One of the things I always wanted as a kid was to be a really, really good guy. And I tried to be, but sometimes I wasn't. And that was because of my mind. That's because these thoughts controlled me and my temper controlled me and I could be selfish and mean and all these things. But the more I've kind of gone through my journey with bipolar and, and suffering has been a big part of, I, I would say, humbling me more. I won't say I'm humbled, but humbling me more. But also the meditation has given me a context for it. It means that I get to see this stuff and then just let it go and and, and become free of it. And anyone can do that. Anyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's encouraging to hear stories like your own, you know, that can – because so many guys been in the position that you and I have been in, like you say, like we want to be decent people, um, but for whatever reason, or that you know the 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 relationship we have with these with our thoughts, they determine how we behave. And sometimes when we don't behave in the right way, we don't get what we want, and we upset people, and we do bad things, and therefore we think we're a bad person. So you know the amount of guys that I speak to that don't feel like they're a decent human being anymore. Like it's the first place we got to start. That became my goal in the end. You know fuck the money fuck everything else like it had to be my ambition had to be just to install some honesty and decency back in because it's a pretty low place to be as a human being when you when you when you don't value yourself because then yeah no one you know you're, you're never going to let anyone else value you if you know if you don't value yourself and we kind of know this but we we dodge it and we, we we don't think we need to do the inner work but yeah what you've just said makes sense and I guess it's a tactic perhaps and again correct me if I'm wrong on the language there to slow the speed between the thought and the action down right to create some space so that you can see what's coming in you can assess them a little bit better and you can pick which thoughts you want to attach to that's the, one of the main things i learned i think about meditation and benefited myself from from the out of it
1: yeah that's brilliant mm-hmm. i think what is it what is uh, what is it that really motivates you why are you alive
0: what motivates me, again, do you know what? It's, it's still a little bit more swinging towards the, the fear of going back. The fear of going back motivates me to move forward. But I say this is the first time in my life I'm, what, 37 now, Oliver, that I've kind of been okay, you know. Again, I don't like the word content because I'm not I'm driven as fuck at the minute. But I'm okay with what I've got and, and who I am, which is a first, you know. It's took many years of hard work just to be okay, like, I'm definitely not going to hold up and go, I love myself. You know, all the you know, all the, the memes that are out there on Instagram and social media, you know, about self-love and self-care. For me, I had to earn a bit of respect back in my life. And this is where, I'd, you know, I'd love your opinion on this resignation acceptance thing. I refused to accept the way I was behaving in the end. I had to, like it was too painful. So I had to dig deep and have an honest look at myself and my life. And, and, you know, I didn't like what I saw. You know, I looked in the mirror. I didn't like it. I sat on my own. I didn't like it. I couldn't be on my own. Couldn't be with anyone else either. So it was a, it was a fucking world of pain, you know. You just can't go anywhere because you can't get away from yourself, can you? It's the one thing you can't escape. Or if you can, you have to do something drastic. So there was a lot of digging to be done there. And that kind of motivated me, that project. That that still is my motivation. It's like, well, how, how decent can I become? Like, how giving can I become? How loving can of become. All these things start to become the main goal. You start to chase being a better man, which is exactly why I called it. I called it that, so it left the doors open to anyone that wanted to come and work with me because it's I'm not interested in just getting someone good at business or you know, or getting someone in great shape, but if they're still unhappy or a fucking dickhead to their partners and stuff, that's, that's no good, you know? It's no good having the physique if you haven't got the, uh, you know, the decency to back it up. So, yeah, that, that's what motivates me. I mean, what, what motivates you then to be the better man, to do your best in life, to turn it around? To be, what, what's your motivation to do all this work? Well, first of all, what you just said was incredibly inspiring and very cool.
1: Very, very cool. Thank you, man. And summed up a lot of how I feel um i just love the idea of being a good guy i love the idea of protecting the people around me of being honest of being decent i love the idea of making the tough choices Mm -hmm. when when benefiting myself is really really obvious but benefiting the whole is a tough choice and i love the feeling when i make that tough choice
0: yeah that's cool as fuck yeah i love that language it's quite masculine as well but yeah it is masculine and i love that and i think we've lost this masculinity aspect a little bit. I still see it as a healthy thing. Like what you've just said to me is inspiring. I'm like, yeah, I want some of that as well. You know what? I, I want that. And I think, you know, stripping males of that, that potential role. Um, I don't believe that's a positive move. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with traditional roles and masculine mindset and masculine values. I think as long as they're channeled in the right way, because I think it's often confused with machoism. Um, they're completely different things for me. Yeah. No one likes a macho pig, right? Like, none of us like a masculine man won't won't favor a macho guy it, it's down to what you've said but that gives you the, surely when we talk about purpose earlier you've just you've just said yours right that's your purpose isn't it to to, to protect those that, lo- that that you love to make tough decisions to step forward to do the work does that not become our purpose just this pursuit of being a better person 100 percent, absolutely
1: i mean yeah i mean as a man there's this illusion in social media that masculinity is under attack and that 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 um, all this political correctness and all this nonsense that's in the media. But the fact is, and I'm saying this to any man listening, the fact is we have control of how we perceive ourselves and we have the power to move towards the mature masculine, which is amazing and celebrated. It's the strength, it's the power, it's the love, it's the protecting, it's the gentleness, but the, the steadiness. Or we can move towards the immature masculine, which is the aggression, the violence, the selfishness, the the sexual assault, like all these things, the, the disrespect of women. That's the immature. We shouldn't be talking about the feminine and the masculine society in the way we do because it's so destructive. We should celebrate both, but we should celebrate the mature masculine and the mature feminine, those aspects of the male and female that are in all of us, but... Are full of love and compassion and kindness and patience and fortitude. And if we're going to save this planet, you know, it's great that it's great what people do to try and help the planet. It's great. I, I I applaud anyone, whatever they do that helps. But really, what we need is we need more mature men and more mature women around to be an example and to spread the love and the wisdom to help the less mature people grow, or they just disappear. That's their choice. But we really shouldn't allow ourselves to be dragged into a situation where we think we're, it's wrong that we're men and it's wrong that we express our masculine values. But we should acknowledge that some of the old masculine ways, which are very immature, they definitely need to go.
0: Yeah, here, here. I'll support you 100% on that one. Where do we start then? So, you know, earlier we spoke about uh, this ability to distance yourself from thoughts active you know choose which thoughts you engage with this was never mentioned to me when i was young you know school th- this was not spoken of uh, parents probably again it's unknown information right and no knowledge like most people don't know how to disengage or engage with certain thoughts so like how on earth do we change this without you know before you're 26 before you have to look at it and by that way you've hardwired yourself for 26 years of these behaviours and limiting beliefs like where, where do we where do we catch it man how do, how do we how do we introduce better men to the world well I think it's a very very much individual I think it, it, it all comes down
1: to what I want to do and what you want to do and what Dave wants to do and what Bill wants to do like it's a very very personal thing you can't push it you know, everyone gets to, well, not everyone, some people get to a place in their life that you've described and I've described where we don't like what we see and we don't. We just know there's something wrong with all this and then, then we have our inner motivation to change it. I think that's very, very important. I don't think there's any point demonising people who express the immature masculine. Of course, we have to protect society from them and, and, and we may well need to talk to them and say, mate, that's totally out of order or whatever. But the main focus should be on us becoming more at peace, more loving, more compassionate in ourselves. And then that will naturally just spread out and we will naturally start to attract situations that support it. We'll have more friends who are mature masculine rather than immature masculine. And we'll meet more women who are mature feminine rather than immature feminine. And we'll just, we'll suddenly find that we're this more and more positive force in the world. And what we do with that is very much down to our preferences. You know, someone like you, Alex, you're obviously really inspired to be a teacher and to work with guys and help help them. And you're doing that, which is awesome. And you're doing it from a mature masculine perspective. And then there are going to be other people who did, all they want to do is write a book or all they want to do is um, have a quiet life with their family. That's totally cool as well. It's This world is so focused on what we do. But what is even more important than what we do is who we are. That's really important. I, can become, I could have become a really successful sales trader if I'd stuck at it, and I'd have be been miserable, and I would have caused a lot of misery, misery for other people. Or I can say, right, I want to become the, the greatest expression of myself. I want, I want to be someone who, when I die, people say, he was a really good guy. He helped me. And it's up to the individual to decide what they want, and there's nothing wrong with the other decision. I don't want to demonise anyone.
0: I'm just wondering whether to get to that mature masculine that you that you've just spoken of like do we not I'm sure we can't bypass the immature masculine right so if you took if you look at our back backstories we were the immature masculine right but it's kind of been the ladder so I'm like well hold on you know are you and I assuming that you know we should try and eliminate that stage in life or or is that just a a rite of passage perhaps you know and some men graduate into the mature levels and some don't Uh, you know maybe maybe it's unavoidable maybe it's something we all have to experience
1: i i see it the same i see it as um as a rite of passage Mm -hmm. and and there's definitely a certain amount of luck in 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 wanting that you know wanting to be a more mature man there's definitely some luck in that but i also think there's a huge amount of intention you know to, to be someone who's who's damaging the people around them but to recognize in in oneself i want this to be different that is so powerful, you know. It's funny we talk about these these lows that we've hit. Lucky us, lucky us, because for many people, for many men, we have to go through the tunnel in order to emerge. You know, we have to go through the questioning of. We look at our life. You know, some people hit it at fifty. Used to be called the midlife crisis, but people mm-hmm. are hitting it lower and lower. You hit it at you know in your thirties, yeah. and, and we go into this tunnel, and it's incredibly uncomfortable. And it's probably one of the reasons why a lot of men commit suicide, because they go into the tunnel, but they don't have any context for it. The tunnel itself can be incredibly healthy. It's really uncomfortable. We question everything. Why did I choose that job? Why did I choose that partner? Why did I make those mistakes? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I do that? And we torment ourselves for it. But if we just keep going and if we ask for help, which is something that's quite hard to do in that state, actually, particularly for guys, but if we ask for help and we get good help and and we kind of stay, we just keep going, we emerge from the whole thing and suddenly our values have landed and we know what we think, we know we know what we stand for, and there's so much strength in that.
0: Yeah, I think it's the, the, the classic Carl Jung saying, you know, if you really want to find yourself, what is it he says, you have to look in the places you least want to look. You know, and it sounds like me and you have both learned that way. Where we had to, to kind of stare in the face the person we didn't want to be to work out who we do. And, and My mentor, Jeff Thompson, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jeff Thompson. If, if you aren't, you should check that guy out. He's phenomenal. Um, he was a bit too much for Arjuna. Arjuna was like, I like a simple life, Alex. That, that, that guy speaks at levels I'm not sure about. But Jeff always says, you know, the way to find out who you want to be is to find out who you don't want to be. So that's a lot easier. Uh, and again, whenever I'm working with a guy who says, like, you know, I want to change, but I don't know what I want in life. I always start at that place. Well, let's let's look at what you don't want. I know you don't want to be horrible to, to your partner. I know you don't want to be biting your kids' heads off. I know you don't want to be four-stone overweight. I know you don't want to be exhausted every day. I know you don't want to hate your day. I know you don't want to hit snooze all the time. And these things just transpire, don't they, into directing us towards what we potentially want in life or where we should maybe aim next. So I think that's another thing that puts guys off. They, they feel like they need that purpose before they make a move. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't need that. You just got to get a bit of a life philosophy on the go. Like, what do you stand for? You know, what qualities do you want? You know, and we can train those things. You know, you want to be, become more honest. That is a trainable skill because, you know, you and I clearly weren't honest men at the time, but we're probably more honest now than we were then. Mm-hmm. Now, whether this is just a, a maturity thing and a, pr- a process or, or whether we've earned the right to get to that position, I'm not sure, but... I think it's encouraging to all guys out there that you can train any of these skills Right, you can get better at these things.
1: I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. I wish I had had some training. I wish I'd had a coach. I wish I'd been exposed to the things that are available now. Mm. And I think for, I, I actually think it really comes down to intention. I think if someone wants to change, then they can, they can find the resources to do it. And if they want to become a better man, they go to you if they want to make more money, they you know go online and find some money coaches or whatever. Like We do seem to have a lot of choice in where we move in our life. And all I would say is that for the people who want peace and happiness and, and love and want to be a better man or a better woman, then you're really lucky because it, the path to achieving that and expanding that is, is is so interesting. Whereas the path to just making a lot of money can be exciting. It can be full of adventures and stuff. But if you don't find the depth inside yourself, it means almost nothing. It's, it's an easier life, but it's an easier life of, of discontentment.
0: Yeah, and we are lucky, aren't we? I mean, we, we, you know, we do have options, especially if we live in you know, a wealthy country like the UK. Some people aren't as lucky as us and don't get to make that you know, that choice. And again, I don't know whether this di- you know, directs with what you were saying in terms of like purpose being luck as well because we do seem to be in a privileged position where we can pick and choose, you know, there's, there's opportunities out there for us. Those people that don't necessarily get these opportunities. So people that are born into you know, third world countries or places of poor health, poor hygiene, like what choice, like what chance, what choice do they have? Is, is that not another example of like, this is, this is your lot, you know, make the best of it, but you're never, you're never going to be able to excel. You know, do you not think a lot of this is purely like a roll of the dice and, the environment that you're born into has such a massive saying on where you go in life.
1: I personally think that
0: the environment
1: you're born into is, is earned. And when I say earned, I don't mean that those people in the, in the third world have earned their (laughs) situation. What I mean is you've earned the chance to grow and to help those people. And, And they, some of them can't help themselves. So I think that being born with privilege and being born with a desire to be better is, is earned. And I think with it comes responsibility, not to use it just for for selfishness and just to make my life great. There's so much focus on my life being great on Instagram and all that, but to actually focus on people who are less fortunate as well. And to focus on how you can contribute because I can't rationalize the state of the third world. I can't give you a good reason as to why some of those people suffer. Not all of them suffer by any means, but why some of them do, um, I can't rationalise that. But I can rationalise the the privilege that we've been given, and the, and and to then turn that, if it's your desire, to turn that to helping people who are less fortunate is a brilliant thing to do. And then maybe they will then get the chance to better themselves in different ways too. You know, because a lot of people in the third world, have bettered themselves, you know, but it would be great to help them more.
0: So why do some of us take these opportunities and some of us not? So if you're describing this privilege that we're all born into and we've all got potential, we've all got opportunities to, like I say, not not only better our own life but better the life of other people, why are some people sat on their arse doing nothing and watching this time go by versus some people that are out there and, and putting into practice the things that you've just mentioned of?
1: I don't really know I don't really know but what I do know is that the if you have the choice it's really wise to make the good choice
0: if you have it damn fucking right absolutely and when do we when do we know that we fucked up like if we don't jump on these opportunities is this a is this a classic you know at the end of your life you have these flashbacks you go through that tunnel like is that how it's going to play out you know do you get to the end and I don't know is it just relief is it just you know regret is it opportunities that missed. It's it's, it's a a fascinating concept, you know. Uh, Is it the opposite, where you look back and you just wish you'd have been more content? You hadn't have worked so hard. You hadn't have chased so much. None of us know the answer. This is why life's so scary and so exciting at the same time. Everything's a huge contradiction. At times, Oliver, I'd love to be one of those chilled-out guys that can just be at peace a bit more, put his feet up and chill out. But then if I was that, trust me, I wouldn't want to be that either. I'd want to be driven as fuck. I'd want to be that guy he's after it all the time so it's like yeah it's like well pull up both directions man you, can, you might be right on both of you, you might be wrong on both who fucking knows huh? Eh? yeah it's, it's quite possible that everything i've said in this podcast is wrong <laughs> well that's what i like about you man i'm like i know nothing i don't think anyone does really like i don't think any of us know much at all like you say it's intuition it's gut, it's perception And this is another thing, like perception surely comes from the environment that we've been brought up into as well, the beliefs that we've been pretty much given. We've been handed those values. I know we can change them and values change. You know, you have a kid and your values have changed overnight. But again, it's, um, you know, the more I look into this free world determinism thing, I'm like, so much of it is set out on a path for us. We either have to work very fucking hard to change that path, or we just do the very best we can with what we're given the genetics that we have, and where we find ourselves at that point in life. Mm. Am I convincing you yet that free will might be an illusion?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, think, it could,
0: I think it could be either way. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I hope, I, I hope that hasn't depressed you. I hope mean, I've got a spiral out of control now and go, oh, my God, free will's an illusion. I'm fucked. Yeah. No, I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, please don't be the first podcast guest that I really fuck up by having deep <laughs> Uh, Dude, I just want to touch quickly on chapter 12. Good people make all the difference. Mm. So I'm guessing people in your life are one of the um, the keystones to your recovery. Mm. Yeah, tell me more about that, man.
1: Gosh, wow. I mean, I feel I've been very, very blessed because uh, at every stage of my journey, I've had at least a few good people around me. Um, even though I was, have been in self-destruct mode or kind of ignoring their advice or whatever, I've I've always had good people around me, and those good people have been lifesavers. You know, when I was growing up, I used to um, I heard that saying. You know, you can count your your friends if you can if you can count your friends on two hands, you're you're a liar or something like that. If you can count them on one, then you're lucky. And I never used to believe that. I thought, no, nah, that's not true. I got loads of friends, but. But when I became ill, it was really, really clear who were the, the friends that I really valued, who were the people who were there for me, who really cared about me. Um, primarily because, you know, because I'm quite a good laugh, I had a lot of friends. A lot of people were my friends. And, and all of a sudden, I'm super depressed just talking about wanting to, to kill myself and hating everything. And, and they just disappeared. And, and a lot of them didn't contact me or, you know, there was really no, no effort. And yet some of them did and and that's incredible and and what it meant was that over time i started to become a lot more picky about who my friends are and i started to become a much better judge of you know is is this a is this a good person or not before it was more like are they a good laugh are they funny do they interest me you know it was kind of it was all about entertainment with my friendships mm-hmm. but now it's much more like I I, I I i mean luckily i don't have any friends that i consider boring But I could probably have the most boring person in the world as one of my best friends if I thought they were a thoroughly good person. And I would enjoy their company and I'd enjoy hearing them talk about paint dry. Um, Whereas in the past, it was always go for the fun guys, go for the pizzazz, you know. So I just really appreciate good people. And I try to treat my friends in the way that I like to be treated. And I, I try and be a good friend as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, again, this is a tough conversation. Depressed people aren't fun to be... They're not fun to be around. They're challenging. Let's face it, I know that when I was at my lowest point, I was terrible company. Uh, and again, you feel it inside, don't you? You know you're terrible company and you think you're no use to anyone. Um, but it's difficult for people around an individual who's depressed or bipolar um, because it's very unpredictable. It's 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 not pleasant for anyone. Nobody wins with with mental illness, do they? The The individual friends to family it, it really it has a massive effect one of my um good friends and clients her son-in-law killed himself and and because of that like you know her life is is, is tough you know it's it was around Christmas time so Christmas is now just you know a reminder of what happened um but it, yeah it's tough on everyone but the people around you you've you've mentioned the word lifesaver are you being literal with that is that like you know, uh, a genuine statement. They, the people around you, saved your life.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, my parents, my wife, and my closest friends uh, definitely saved my life, and they also make life when I'm well so much better too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And I, and I like what you say about it. it's hard to be around depressed people because I don't um, I don't expect people to. I don't think that people should have been around me when I was depressed. I completely understand that they 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 couldn't face it or they didn't really know or they didn't know the severity or whatever. And so I don't feel sort of I don't feel sort of bad about that. But what I what I the 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 angle I try to take is just I I'm really grateful for the good friends I have and I really I I appreciate them. I don't take them for granted anymore.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we talk about you know, you know we mentioned talking being a difficult thing for a man to do. Listening's equally as hard for for a lot of guys to 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 sit and listen to a friend's problems. A lot of men are very uncomfortable when somebody spills their heart out to them. They don't know what to do with the information, or they'll 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 try and come up with an answer. They'll try and come up with the right answer. Oh, mate, you just need to do this, or just do. do you know What I mean, it's it's another skill. Like li- this is where not talked about as much this it's like well how you know teach me how to listen as well because sometimes saying nothing and just just listening um is as equally as important as giving out advice or guidance especially when we're not fucking we don't have a clue what or how we're on about i think that's another skill for a man to learn so i'm I'm assuming that you had people around you that you could just offload to um and and talk to and explain And, and then how how do people support How did people support you when you were going through, you know, all these turbulent times? And obviously bipolar is quite up and down. You've used the word manic, psychotic. Yeah. How do people support you through a time where you don't even know yourself?
1: Well, my my parents used to visit me every day in hospital twice, like my mum and dad in the morning, even though they were very busy. And that made a massive difference just knowing they were there. My wife is just stuck by me when uh, she had every right not to. You know, I'd been ill for a long time. I was ill for like four and a half years and she stuck with me and showed me love and kindness the whole way through. And that's amazing. Like to have that in my life, it's just like, whoa. And also uh, the friends who, who called me or texted me or came to visit me in hospital. And often I would have a real laugh with them because they're fun people, a lot of them. And yeah, I mean, just in, in general, I just, I just love good people. I, I, I haven't, I haven't got enough time for for the superficialities of life anymore. I haven't got time for superficial people. I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with them, but I haven't got time for them. I'm not interested in that. I like the I like the depth of life, the fun, the laughter. I love to laugh. I laugh so much every day, and yeah. um, often just with my wife, just having a giggle, taking the Mickey out of situations. You know, just good old British humour.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you can tell. right? Like, you, you, you can tell you're bang up for a laugh. Um, you know, you're adventurous and you're playful and you're curious. But I'm assuming that when you weren't feeling good, you weren't, you didn't have those qualities about you, right? You probably, yeah, the fun was taken out of you. Did you not feel unlovable at that time? So, again, something that's, that's quietly spoken about between myself and some of my clients, which is, you know, it's a tough conversation to go into. But when you, when you know you're not um, acting, performing, or feeling like you, you, you know, you can, uh, and you don't like yourself. You don't love yourself. You can never understand or articulate how somebody else could love you. Like, it's impossible, right? It just doesn't fit. I don't like myself. How the fuck can somebody else love me? Like, How did you welcome the support that you had when, I'm assuming, you probably didn't feel much use at that point? You know, if you're down and depressed, you don't feel useful. It's the last thing you feel. So how did you accept the love when you feel like such a piece of shit?
1: Um, I don't think I did. I think I was just very grateful that it was there after the event mm. um, I mean when I was really depressed, it was like it was like someone had got just a, a bucket of shit and just just put me in it and was just holding me there like there was no there was no concept of an end to it. There was just hell, misery, pain, suffering it was uh, If I could have killed myself, I would have done but i couldn't I couldn't even go to the toilet I couldn't feed myself. I didn't eat anything for, I think, two weeks, two and a half weeks. And the doctors were going to put me on force feeding. But luckily, a friend kind of managed to just knock me out of it. But no, I couldn't appreciate the love. I couldn't pay them back. I couldn't even say thank you or anything. That's why I'm so amazed by their love, because it was unconditional. They weren't getting anything from it. They weren't even getting a thank you. In fact, sometimes they would get shit from me. (laughs) <laughs> they get argumentativeness or cruel words or hurtfulness and they still stuck by me and that's unbelievable i'm so grateful god it makes me emotional
0: talking about it no, no mate you're such an inspiration i mean what a turnaround like you say your um your energy is infectious man like you can tell you'd be a great guy to, i don't know if you go for i don't know if you drink oliver but you'd be the great you'd be a great guy to go down the boozer with and have a couple of beers I bet after a few beers, you're even more fun, man. <laughs> I can tell. I bet you're full of stories, and yeah, it's 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 such an amazing turnaround. So, uh, before like we've been chatting for nearly an hour and a half. And by the way, I've got to get you back on again because I'd love to dive more into your story. We haven't even really spoke much about that. Um, I've got a shitload of, of notes here, but if if we're gonna kind of like leave some guys with maybe some practical tips or some things that you think like might be the key. Focus of attention for guys who want to become a better man, create a better life, uh, live a happier life. Like, What, what would you say are some of the key things that they, they may want to start um, introducing into their life or making more of a ritual and a discipline? That's a really good
1: question. Um, the first thing I would say is find at least one good man, preferably a bit older than you, and see if you can hang out with him. Tell him you'd like to to grow or change, whatever. I mean, obviously, you have to treat the situation individually because it could be very weird saying certain things to an old, older guy, whatever, but <laughs> try and hang around some, at least one person, if not more, who are just good, stable guys, who, who you know would make the right choice when the when the cards were down. That's one thing I would say.
0: Well, that's phenomenal advice, by the way. I'm 100% back you on that one, yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the other things would be perhaps, I mean – I would suggest if you're drawn to it I would suggest learning uh, a good form of meditation. Uh, the one I teach is called the uh, Ashaya's Ascension as taught by the Bright Path. I think I said it the wrong way at the start. Or if you feel like being drawn to like working like more practically then you know go and go and see Alex. He seems to know what he's talking about. Seems very honest and straightforward and a fun good guy. But I would just say if you're in despair, get help, you know, get help, whoever that is, whether that's the Samaritans or whether it's someone you trust or your GP. But get help. Don't just hang out alone and try and fix it yourself or or think that that you can never do it because you can. So depending on where you're at, do do what you need to do to be a better man or to find peace and, and, and ask for help. It's so important. I'll tell you one quick story about that. Go for it. There's a very beautiful book called Second Thunder by a man called MSI. It's a very cryptic book. It is otherworldly. I absolutely love it, but I still don't understand it. But one of the things he says in this book again and again and again is he says, never in pride rely solely on your own strength. Good comes to those who ask for it even when least deserved Oliver. So, whatever you think ask for help if you need to
0: mate i think that's a great place to leave it man that was pretty fucking epic um friend bipolar on amazon right you got a good review as well mate i see you got like all five star reviews so let's it be pretty good i'm looking forward to reading this i'm going to start at the weekend um so thank you for writing it Uh, you've been an incredible guest I think you're an incredible guy I'm gonna have to get you on for part two I'm sorry because um, yeah I could speak to you for another hour and a half I'd love to know more about your personal story Um, hopefully you're not too disappointed we didn't dive into that but we got wrapped up in these other topics but yeah I'd love to hear more about it because it sounds like you've been on a real roller coaster but yeah you've got all my respect and I certainly admire you and I think yeah getting your story out there is going to be real beneficial if, if men just take the time to listen to what you've got to say.
1: Thanks, mate. You've been a total star. I appreciate it.
0: No, nah, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Peace out, Oliver. Oh, we've got 37 comments to check as well, so I'll see what they say as well. Uh, Oliver, thanks so much, man. You're the man. Hi. Okay. Oliver, thank you, mate. You're
1: brilliant.